Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It is an honor and a privilege every time that we get to come together. Would you agree with that? It's an honor and a privilege every time we get to come into the house of God to worship together with like-minded people. Hallelujah. We're all interested in, in, in the same goal. Hallelujah. So I'm grateful for the church. How about you? Amen. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Now, when we talk about this, I'm hoping before we're done here tonight, you can quote this whole verse. Amen. I hope you can just memorize it right here. This is, you know, it's, it's, they say that repetition is the essence of learning. And we don't mind repetition at work. Don't mind repetition in our meals, what we eat. Sometimes we come to the house of God and we're like the Epicureans and the Stoics. We come to hear and to learn of some new thing. Now, I might have something new for you to hear tonight. I hope I do. I hope it brings something that maybe will uh, inspire what I'm teaching. But ultimately, I'm teaching a principle that's, that's, that's as old as time itself here tonight. So let's open up this Bible and let's open up our hearts and be ready to receive it. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Somebody say, God's given me everything I need. Through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Somebody say, God called me up higher. Whereby are given us exceeding great and precious promises. Say, somebody say, God gave me more. <laughs> that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. God gave you all of this. That you could be a partaker of his divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be, a, shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to attempt to do my best to finish out this section of what we've been teaching about the culture of addition, part three. Hopefully be the last part, but we'll, maybe we'll come back for part four. Who knows? But we're going to talk tonight about love. Everybody said love. Turn to your spouse and say love. If you're single, just, just stare to the ground and say love. Amen. Love. The culture of addition part three, you can put another thing there called love at the bottom. Amen. Let's, uh, let's set down our Bibles. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray. 
Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory and we give you honor and we give you praise. Pray, God, that you would take this word, God, that you would add this to us, Lord. We're giving you the praise and the glory and the honor in advance, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're asking that you would compound these things in our lives in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Let's clap our hands one more time as we are seated. Amen. We've been talking for the last several weeks, amen, about the culture of addition. We have been talking about the fact that this, this culture or this kingdom is an expanding kingdom. You're going to hear that so much, you're going to get tired of it. You're going to hear so much about the kingdom of God that you're going to get so sick of it, and it's going to be awesome. Amen. But this, this kingdom is is that there, there, are, there is really only a few things that Jesus talked about and preached about. Uh, and, and a lot of people want to take the concept of Jesus. They want to take the concept uh, of, of, of what he stood for, but they don't necessarily want to preach and teach the message that Jesus taught and, pro- and preached. The message that Jesus was teaching and preaching, he preached repentance, okay, salvation entrance into the kingdom but the rest of his ministry was spent talking about the kingdom putting forth principles and and as I've traveled for almost four years across Pentecost and and I got the opportunity to be in a lot of pulpits and a lot of churches and a lot of different demographics and a lot of areas I, I found that there was a trend amongst the movement as a whole, that we've got the repentance down. We can get people into the kingdom. Now, there's some parts of the country that they're still struggling with that. They don't know what door knocking is or evangelism is, but that's another story for another time. But we have, we've almost got a, an edge on Acts 2.38, getting people born again of the water and of the Spirit. But when we start talking about the kingdom, we are almost almost ignorant. Again, ignorant doesn't mean stupid. We are unknown. We don't have an understanding of it. It is as if we have relegated the entire Christian existence to just the initial salvation or entrance into the kingdom. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. There is, you you can't enter the kingdom of God except a man's born of the water and of the spirit. You can't walk through that door. Amen. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't, you can't come in this building except through the door. Jesus said, anybody who tries to come in any other way, they are a thief and a robber. Anybody else who tries to come in this kingdom, aside from Acts 2.38, repenting of their sins, being water baptized by full immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, they are breaking into the kingdom. Amen. They are, they are thieves and robbers. And I'll just say this real quick. Uh, there is no way to break into this kingdom. Jesus is using that, that statement as if it was a possibility. Some people think they're going to steal their way into heaven. They're going to sneak their way into heaven. They're going to somehow uh, trick God into heaven. It's not going to happen. There's no way they're going to be able to stand before God like Jacob did and say, I'm Esau. I'm saved. Nope. Mm-mm. might sound, you might feel like you're a Christian, you might get goosebumps, 
Amen. But but your speech will betray you. Amen. The way that you are and the way that you live. So this this understanding of the kingdom, the entrance is to be born of the water and the spirit. But that is not all there is in the kingdom of God. We have got to be people that are looking at this kingdom and saying, okay, God, what else do you have for me? What else? This this kingdom is built on a culture of addition. A, a, Jesus would put it this way. He talks about people that were given talents. They were given money. And, and everybody did something with their money or with their talent or with what God had given to them. But there was one that said, I was afraid. And, and we can't preach about that here tonight. That's another story for another time. But his, his understanding and revelation of God was actually deeper than the rest of theirs. He understood that God was looking for a return on his investment. He had an understanding that if I don't do something with this, that you're not going to be happy or pleased with me. And yet, he did the opposite of what he knew. He did nothing with it. He buried it in the earth. And he said, your own words have condemned you. Your own revelation of who I am and how I am has betrayed you. And so... He said, the least you should have done, if you weren't going to work with what I gave you, is you should have taken that, and you should have taken it to the bank. You should have invested it, and you should have gotten back some compound interest. And if nothing else, maybe don't invest in the stock market and have high risk and, and potential high return. You should have at least put it in there and gave me back maybe uh, .003 annual percentage yield. Basically nothing. You should have gotten me back at least a penny, but you decided to hide what I gave you and, and not do anything with it. So we've got to be careful, folks, that we don't hide what God has presented to us. We have got to, we've got to be people that are looking to add, to compound. Amen. We can't just say, well, I got the initial experience. I spoke in tongues and I danced across the building. Amen. That's not all there is to Christianity. You entered the door, you maybe stepped down the hallway, but there's a lot more room. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Amen. So in this culture of addition, he said, you got to give diligence. We've talked about this, but I'm going to go through for the sake of repetition. I'm doing it on purpose. Uh, i got a lot to talk about, so I don't want to take up too much of your night. Amen. But give all diligence. He said, speed up, hurry up. We've talked about that. you got to make haste to be an adder, or you've got to make haste to add to furnish, to fully supply, to contribute. Starting everything we know is faith. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everybody said amen. you got to add virtue. Virtue is where we talked about excellence at the first part of this year. We were breaking that down. you got to bring something that is praiseworthy. This is how somebody progresses in their walk with God. They step through the doors, Acts 2.38, but they start walking down the hallway. They walk in faith and not by sight. They start stepping into a room called virtue. And from that virtue, they step into the library of God's kingdom, and they start giving knowledge. This is not just, uh, you, know, uh, you, you know what a hypotenuse is. It's, it's more of you have an understanding and a revelation of who God is. You get a deeper understanding of spiritual things. Man, God is saying, I don't want you to just be puffed up. Paul would put it this way, that knowledge puffs up. It makes you seem like you're something when maybe you're nothing. But he's saying, I'm not talking about that kind of knowledge, that earthly knowledge. He's saying, I want you to have a heavenly knowledge. Man, it's not based on how many degrees you might have here on earth. And thank God for it. If you're getting your degree, go for it. Learn everything you can learn. Amen. But a 
above and beyond every bit of humanistic wisdom that the, the current uh, college education system can give you, you've got to have yourself grounded in revelation of who God is. Amen. If you get your edge, and I'll just say this, this is free. If you get your education before you get revelation, you will become twisted. Amen. You'll be, the Bible says, blown about by every wind of doctrine. Your professor will be able to sway you. Your teacher will be able to sway you with the same rhetoric they've been using for the last 2,000 years of all these weird philosophies and ideologies. And, and you'll think that because they can put together a few big words that they're all of a sudden smart and they know everything. But the truth is they've only been on this earth for 40, 50 years and they know about, about that much more than you do. Amen. And and you can become swayed by this, this great ivory tower of intellect where people they, they they have degrees on the wall and you're you're a little bit some people are actually impressed by that i want to i want to just tell you that doesn't impress god god's not impressed by that he said i use the weak things of the world to confound the wise i use the things that seem seem dumb they seem uh, like like they are they are weak or, or they are something that maybe everybody else would look down on god said those are the things i use and i use them amen just to prove a point God can use somebody that has a million degrees, and God can use somebody that has zero. That's not important. But you have to have yourself fully grounded in revelation. But some people, they get to that place where they become a virtuous person, but they never dig into the Word of God. Can I put a plug out there? you got to get in this book. you got to get in this book, church. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus said, you do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. It is, an, it is absolute error to not take this word and to gain to our virtue knowledge. Amen. There's some churches I know of. They are virtuous. They've got everything excellent. The paint is perfect. The carpet is perfect. Everybody's got their tie just perfect. But when you talk about revelation, knowing God, have, and having a deep revelation of God, it's as if, well, I just come to church. Amen. That's not, that's not the will of God. Amen. We've got to be people that are compounding. And everybody said amen. So we've got to add to our knowledge temperance. Everybody say self-control. Amen. That's something that we've got to add. Everybody say patience, which we learned was a cheerful or hopeful endurance. The ability to wait with a good attitude. You've got to be willing to give grace to others. Amen. That's what patience is. Man, sometimes patience is with yourself, but most of the times you got to be patient with other people. Somebody said, uh, I'm going to pray for patience, and then God starts sending you people. You think you're going to get healed. All of a sudden, I'm waiting for my day. We're going to have kids. God, give me patience, and I'll probably have a kid just like me. And I promise I'll be more patient than I've ever been. Amen. But it, it won't happen right away. And everybody said, hallelujah. But you got to add patience. you got to add godliness. Holiness. We learned that without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Without holiness, you won't see God. Without holiness, nobody will see God through you. You've got to be holy. You've got to be like God. And then we ended a couple weeks ago, and we, this is as far as we got. We talked about brotherly kindness. It's, it means fraternal affection, brotherly love, the love of the brethren. But we're going to continue here tonight, and we're going to talk about love. Everybody say love. A lot of songs written about love. We're not going to sing them here tonight. But there's a lot of things written about love. It's a concept that, 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 that Pentecostists shied away from. We're scared of it. Because the charismatic movement has so abused the word love. 
In fact, we're scared of the word love because it might make us look a little wimpy. You know, men look at their wife, I love you. You know, just don't let anybody hear you. It's, we shy away from it. We're scared of it. The truth is we probably don't understand it. And, and there is no more central doctrine than love. It is what sets us apart from every other religion. It's love. Oh, wow. You mean it's not that we do X, Y, and Z? No. Running, jumping, shouting. There's other charismatics do that too. It, it, it's, it's this concept of love. And I want to talk about love here for a little while. And we're going to dive in a little deeper. There are three major biblical words for love. The first one we're going to talk about is eros. This is uh, what the world would, would capitalize on. This is what Hollywood has capitalized on. This is what uh, the, the pornographic industry has capitalized on. It, is, uh, it, it goes into where we get the word erotic. It is, uh, it is denoted as romantic love physical love. Let me talk about Eros for just a minute. This is a love that is solely dependent on what you can do for me. That is the love or the when somebody says in this world, in this present world, oh, I'm just so in love. And they're 12 years old. Their hormones are raging at 16. I just am so in love. No, you're probably in Eros. You're probably in a, a, a stage of love. There's people in your life that would even say that I love you, but what they're saying is, I love what I can get from you. You got to know the difference. This is a big. This is a big deal in this world. Well, I just can't let go of this relationship because I'm in love. But they beat you every week. Come on, we're just no, no. They're getting something out of you, and the only thing they love is not you. It's what you do for them. There's some kids that love their parents because the parents pay the bills. The parents bought them a new Xbox, PlayStation. But the minute you take away what they get from you, they stop loving you. Come on, am I preaching to anybody right now? This is the real world. Our world lives in eros, what I can acquire, what I can get. And the minute I get nothing else from you, I'm done with you. And, and this is where some people will get tripped up and they leave the church thinking, well, the church doesn't love me. Well, the church might have taken away your free candy. Don't worry, kids, I still got candy for you. They might have taken away the things that you like, but that doesn't mean they don't love you. A parent will ground you from that Xbox. They will take away your privileges. But that doesn't mean they don't love you. Hallelujah. Can I preach about God for a moment? God will remove things from you. He'll remove people from you. He'll remove, amen, items from you because he's not wanting somebody to only eros him. Hey, hallelujah. Somebody lift up your hands for just a moment. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. Oh, come on. Let's pray for just a moment. That's where some people spend their Christian existence. They only love God for what, he can, what they can get out of him. Man, they only love the church when they can get something out of the church. Come on. I'm, t I'm talking real good right now. Come on. Everybody say love. Okay, this is where people spend half their life. Eros. 
I get something from this. That they will come to church, and, and you got to understand, people come to church for all different sorts of reasons, okay? The, don't get tripped up when some people leave the church. They weren't here for the same reason you're here. They were here for the arrows. They were here for the free bread. Come on. There's some people that were just there, amen, they got out of Egypt because they got tired of slavery, and they stayed with God in the wilderness because they got free manna. They got a free handout. These are crisis-oriented Christians. They only want God when everything's falling apart in their life, and they got to come run into the feet of Jesus so they can get some more blessings. That's Eros. Don't be an Eros Christian, a crisis-oriented Christian. Somebody shout hallelujah. So this is one level of love where we will... We will be like those in the wilderness. Jesus had a mega church. He had 5,000 in the wilderness, not including women and children. Probably 10,000 or more people in the wilderness that came. They came to hear his words, but they followed him, the Bible says, for the loaves. They followed him for the bread. And as long as you are serving God out of eros and what you can receive from him, you will only be here as long as the free bread is out there. Let me just say it this way. You will only like me as your pastor if I preach things you like. When I am giving you what you eros, when I am providing for you the very things that you are requesting, amen, when I am willing to do X, Y, and Z. That's why I, I, don't, I don't judge anybody this way, but I have an understanding, uh, amen, where I am with some people. They only like me because they like my personality. If you only like me or love me, eros me because my personality, you're going to be sorely disappointed one day when all of a sudden my personality doesn't line up to what you really eros. Amen. Because I've got to go to a deeper level of loving your soul as your pastor where i got to take away the free bread to sometimes find out why you're really in church. Sometimes i got to remove people from their position and find out where their spirit really is to find out do you really come to church because you really love it or because you eros and receive something from it. Come on. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, can we get real for just a moment? God doesn't want to just give you free bread. God wants to know, are you here out of love or are you just here out of arrows? God will find out everyone's motives. You better believe it. And, and I'm telling you right now, this kind of teaching right here is going to find out where some people are. Right here. I know some people, they just want me to go back on Wednesday nights to go in and shout and huck a bucket not really get down to the nitty-gritty. I know. I, I'm, not, I'm not dumb. I understand. There's some people, they just want, hurry up and just give me a quick fix to get me through the week. Midweek's supposed to be, just give me a little jump shot, elder. Just give me a little shot to the arm so I can feel better and make it to Sunday. But I've come to help you not just go from Wednesday to Sunday. I'm not here to give you free bread. I came to prepare you a steak that will help satisfy you I didn't come to bring you candy and donuts, but there's something more that will keep you going long after I'm dead and gone. There's a deeper level in God. So that's where most people live. They live in Eros. But then there's this next side. It's what we talked about last week, which is brotherly love. Philia, which is a fraternal brotherly love or brotherly kindness. This is 
where a lot of people live their lives as well. They might make it beyond that one point. They don't just use people. They've gotten beyond that. This is the kind of people that only like what they are familiar with or familial with, fraternal, related to. So this is not love based on what you can do for me. It's a love based on who you are to me. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that for just a moment. It's not just what you can do for me, but it's who you are to me. So I love my brother and sister at, back in Spokane. They're knuckleheads. Absolute knuckleheads. But I love them because we have the same blood running through our veins. I grew up with them. I have history with them. I, I, I know them because we are related. Who they are to me is determining my love for them. That's why they say that blood is thicker than water. Man, I, I tell you, there's, my pastor always put it this way. There's two things you never touch, and that's a man's kids and a man's wife. Yeah, hey, listen, I might be a Christian, but you come after my future kids and my wife, I'm going to come swinging. Blood's thicker than water, folks. But, but this, is, this is why people will go to defend. They will go to fight because there is that relational, there is that relational love. This is not as shallow of a love. Uh, but, but there are people that will abuse even this love. This is why they will get into relationships with people that they know are not right. They're not right for them. But, but what it does is it makes them feel uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's who they are to them. This person, all of a sudden, what the rapture is going to be. We all missed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> we didn't get what I'm talking about here today. No, I'm kidding. But hallelujah. So, so this, this, what you are to me, this filio, relational love, um, people will start, they'll start putting other people in this position. So uh, what, what happens is it's not always just, oh, you're my brother, you're my sister. But, but it can very easily become uh, they get into a relationship, a romantic relationship with somebody because it, it, you become my security. Right? Uh, some people, they just, in the world, this is how they do it. They, they, actually, they actually get into a relationship because you're the one that's going to pay my bills. I need a new roommate. <laughs> I'm tired of paying all my own bills, so let's just shack up for a little while. Come on, this is the real world. People live this way. You know what? They, they, when they go to the club, they're not looking for a relationship. They're apartment hunting. I know y'all are too sanctified and holy, but th that's what people do. They're just, they're just, you will become my security blanket. And, and, and the unfortunate side of this love, now there's some good sides to this love. Uh, this, this, is, this is that the minute that this person stops being something to you, your security, they all of a sudden are no longer where you feel safe. You go from, you know, because this is what happens. This is honeymoon period with people in general. It doesn't have to be a marriage or relationship of romance. But sometimes you just get around. Some people come to the church, and the church is nothing more than filio for them. It's, it's something where they, they come, and it's their new addiction. You have replaced methamphetamines for me. Come on. <laughs> at, least, at least back in my home church, we got a few folk like that. You have now replaced that feeling of community I had at the club. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Community's good. Brotherly love is all right. But the minute they no longer feel that, they make their way out the back door. 
because now they are, they are, they're, they're starting to realize uh, this is another thing that happens. They start hanging out with friends at work, and they start mistaking the love that they feel at work with the love they feel in the church, and they feel like they have more of a fraternal affection because they only spend two days with the church. Okay, because it's based on time as well. It's based on familiarity. They become more familiar with their coworkers. They become more familiar with their with their classmates. They become more familiar with people in the world. This is why I do believe we ought to not skip church. We re- we really should come together so much the more. I don't think that now. Now you can't blame the church for this. The church is going to open their doors as much as we humanly possibly can, uh, but. But outside of this church, you got to start looking for opportunities to get connected with your brother. Because you don't want to have more in common or familiar with the world as you do with the church. Amen. you gotta, you got you to gotta have some filio even inside of the church, some brotherly love, brotherly kindness. We preached and taught about that all last time, so I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But suffice it to say, this is, uh, I, I like you based on how much I know about you. It's very shallow. If I don't know much about you, I don't like you. I don't love you. Okay? It's it's conditional. This love is very conditional. If I've only been your pastor for X amount of years or months, then you love me based on that time frame. That's human. We all do that. Okay? But there has to go another level. Can't stay there because there's going to be people that have spent more time in your life that have been there longer, amen. And you're going to have more of an of a familial connection to them, amen. This is how some people, when they come into church, that God starts pulling them, and they've not been in church very long, but their family starts pulling them out. When I first got saved, my parents who did not care that I was at the parties, that did not care I was flunking everything, all of a sudden I got baptized and I told my dad, and he said, you're stupid. And he said, you're in a cult. There's something wrong. I started, I started dressing nicer, better. I started being better in school, more respectful. Come on, because when God works, he really starts working. I didn't go to parties. They'd pass around the alcohol, and I'd go to my room. They'd turn on the television, and I'd go to my room. And they said, you're becoming antisocial. We're worried about you. You just, you just don't love your family anymore. But what they don't realize is I found a love that was much greater than the filial love I had in my family. But people will pull on you, and if you're not careful, you will mistake their, their filio for the, the next love we're going to talk about. And really what it is is they want to keep you in their connection or their relationship. They want to keep you familiar. Let me just talk for just a moment about people that don't want you to go beyond filio in their life. Because that, that is the familiar. In other words, they don't want you to change. They don't want you to change because the minute you start changing, you're no longer as familiar. The new you, and they'll just say, you know, you're trying way too hard. Or, you know, are you sure about that? And you start making some edits to your life. Amen. It's not just, you got to be careful because this will happen in the church too. You start going to another level, and people are like the crabs in a pot, and they want to yank you down because it's not that they don't love you. It's that you're no longer as familiar. They love you when you're broke, but when all of a sudden, come on, when you are familiar, you're on the familial level, we're broke together. 
right? The Bible says weep with them that weep, and they'll come and, oh, let's pray at the altar together, and they'll weep and they'll cry with you. But then God answers your prayer request, and they won't be at the front shouting with you. They don't love you. Oh, somebody shout and give him praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. They've only got a conditional love in your life. Hallelujah. But finally, there is a love that is very distinct to God. In fact, there wasn't a proper word in many languages. And so you see it that it was brought about and almost exclusively used in the Bible. And that is the word agape, which is God's love or love like God. And that love is not based on what you can do for me. That love is not based on who you are to me. It's not based on are you familiar? Have we spent a long time? Do you know me a lot? Do you know me well? Am I, am I your most familiar favorite restaurant? Nope. This love goes even deeper. This love is unconditional. This love does not have, this is, this is an unconditional, selfless love. This love is the biblical definition of love. This is the love that I am preaching about and teaching about here today. This is the love that we have got to strive for and work for. And so when we talk about love, we're not talking about what you can do for me or for the church or what vice versa or what we can do for you or who we are in relationship. This kind of love goes beyond bloodlines. Come on. This kind of love goes beyond what you know about somebody. I mean, you don't even have to know them, and you can possess this kind of love. But this kind of love comes from God. This is the kind of love the Bible would say that God is love, his very essence. God is unconditional, selfless love. Familiar passage of Scripture, we could turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hallelujah. And we're going to be getting in verse number 4. First Corinthians 13 and 4. Now this word charity, I want to talk about this for a moment. I'm also going to read this in the ESV after we get through this portion uh, to help somebody. Uh, when we say the word love, it's almost just thrown around. I love my cat. I love my dog. I love cheeseburgers. This culture, we just throw it around. And, and in English, it's unlike in other languages where there's different words for love. Okay, We have like one word. We just love everything. You know, I love my wife, and I love my pet hamster. I don't think those go together. I don't think those are, are equal in, in, in what we're really trying to say. But that's the best we have, really, in the, in the English language. But this word charity, um, this word charity is, is agape. It's unconditional. It's selfless. Um, it's self-sacrificing, if you will. But this word charity has been hijacked in the religious movement. The charity has now become relegated to did we hand out soup? Did we give somebody a car? Right? And people, this is what the Catholic Church has taken this word charity, and they have they have they have they have really just prostituted the word charity to where now if if you got if you got a food bank, you're charitable. You can be all sorts of wicked and be charitable. <laughs> That's not the biblical concept of charity. Now I will say this all of those things are charitable. Every bit of giving that is selfless is charitable. But you'd be, you'd be shocked that some people are only charitable so they can skip taxes, right? 
So that breaks the very reason. Let me just put it this way, and, and I know this is hard, this is hard, but but would we still be charitable givers if all of a sudden the government took away, amen, all of our tax write-offs? Come on. Would we still be charitable if we lost any benefit? Because other countries have no benefits. There might come a day where the minute we start preaching things that the Bible explicitly says are sin, it's already happening in Canada, they will take away that very thing that we, we so dearly love. Tax write-off. Nobody likes a tax man. They're already starting to do it in Canada. But standing for truth and righteousness, there's going to be a lot of people that are all of a sudden going to change their views on stuff. They're going to silence down. But if the church is going to truly be the church, we've got to hold on to the biblical concept of charity. Amen. Somebody said hallelujah. There's a rabbit trail for tonight. But the Bible says charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. We're going to read this again in the ESV to help somebody. Um, it's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Charity never faileth. I'm going to read that again in the ESV to help somebody. Love is patient. Some of y'all got this on your wall. Got it stenciled in. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. This is convicting even me. When we really think about this unconditional selfless love, it's defining itself right here. In other words, if you are impatient, you don't have agape love. If you're not kind, you haven't reached that level of Christianity yet. And unkind to everybody. Unconditionally unkind. That doesn't mean, uh, that, doesn't mean that somebody, uh, that this kindness is based on them deserving kindness. This is actually for the very person that does not deserve your kindness. You are agape. You are, you are agape, unconditional, selflessly giving this person kindness even though they do not deserve it. Somebody say, he's making me a Christian here tonight. Somebody say, pastor's becoming a Christian here tonight. This is hard. I didn't say this is easy. This is a culture of addition, folks. It does not envy or boast. There's no competition. I'll tell you right now, that's one thing we've got to be careful of in the church, not letting the spirit of competition get in the church. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Oh, that hurts even me. There are people that if they don't get it their way, they just, nope, I'm done. Just has to be my way or the highway. That is not agape. So, they do not insist their own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Somebody say, ouch. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You see your brother or sister fall or anybody in this world that's fallen, and you are rejoicing over their condition you do not have biblical love. It does not rejoice at other people's wrongdoing. It does not rejoice when people walk out on God and leave the church. It does not rejoice. There is no excitement there. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it does rejoice in truth. It rejoices in the truth of who people are, what they are. It rejoices in the truth of God's word. It rejoices that God is a redeemer. 
Amen. Let me just put it this way. It does not, when we talk about rejoice in wrongdoing, it, it can also be translated this. It doesn't look for an opportunity to see people fallen and get excited and tell everybody about it. Let me talk about gossip for a moment. If the first thing you, you want to do when you hear gossip is go tell somebody, you are not being spiritual. Hallelujah. If the first thing you want to do is spread bad news and, and things that, that, that all these other things, you, you want to see all the flaws in everybody else, that is not of God. It rejoices in other things. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It has hope in all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. There is no end to love. If you think you've reached your peak and your max and you've just arrived, get ready because those lights are about to flash again. You're going to get raptured. We're going to stay here. It doesn't end. You, there, this, this thing where, oh, you, you might be the nicest, greatest person in the church, but I want you to know love never ends. It keeps pushing for more. It keeps striving for more. This is the very essence of addition right here. It's agape. It's love. It's biblical love. It says, how can I be more loving? How can I be more giving? How can I be, amen, more, more self-sacrificing and selfless? How can I endure more? How can I bear all? How can I be more patient? It's looking for every opportunity to be more. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Talked about in this context, if we were to read through it all, we don't have time here tonight. He talked about I could be religious. He said that in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, that, I, that if, I, if I do all these things and I have not charity, I become like sounding brass. I'm just like a cymbal. I'm just making noise. He's talking about the Christian church. If we, we can give our bodies to be burned, he's saying, I could do some religious sacrifice and, and I could sacrifice myself to be burned, but I don't have love. I'm nothing. He goes through all of these different things and he's, he's taking it to the furthest extent where the church there, they're so gifted, they're so talented, they're so anointed, they've got all these gifts. He said, though I have all prophecy and understand all mysteries, I could be somebody that could tell you what your middle name is and I could tell you what happened to you at five and I could tell you what's going to happen five years from now and I could move mountains and I could start, uh, I could start moving Everest into the sea and I could be these great, I could be the most powerful person in the world, but if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. At the end of it all, he says, the greatest thing you could have as a Christian, you need to have faith. You got to have hope. But you got to have agape. You got to have charity. John chapter 21 and verse 15. We're talking about adding this. This is not easy, folks. This is not that we're just going to just wake up one day and all of a sudden we just got this agape love of God just selfless love. We're going to just show up and arrive one day. No, we're, we're going to have to work on this for the rest of our lives. In fact, Paul would say right before he said, now abide in faith, hope, and charity, he says that, we, that right now we see through a glass darkly. We see through a blurry, uh, tinted window. And things are obscured. 
and he says it's hard right now. We're we're trying our best, and we can't fully uh, we can't fully get the image of what we're striving for. And what's that image? He's saying that right now we're striving to be like Jesus, but it's really hard because it's like a tinted window, and we are trying really, really, really hard. And and right now it's difficult, but one day we won't have to try so hard because we're not going to be looking through this glass window, this veil. We're not going to be look, looking through this tinted window. One day the Bible says in in First Corinthians thirteen and twelve that we're going to see him face to face. We're going to be in that we're going to be in that place where we can see God face to face. And guess what? It, it's going to be amen an image of God. We're going to be the image of God. We're going to be the express image of his person. Amen. Just like Jesus was. We are going to be continuing on. We're going to be like little little versions of Jesus because we have made it. Amen. The blood of Jesus has covered us. Amen. And we're going to be able to look him in the face. Amen. And we're going to see the the true love of God and we're going to understand it more than we ever did here on earth. Love is not something we're going to figure out in one service. I might talk about this a thousand more times before Jesus comes back. But let's talk about this for a moment. Famous passage of Scripture. I want to go through this. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter. I want you to notice what happened. Peter just got done denying Jesus. Jesus died, rose again. Now he's on the seashore, and he's cooking fish. And now they're eating. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? I want you to notice there's something different here. Peter was grieved in his grief because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou know that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now, in English, we're going to see that and just see that there's a lot of speculation on that. G- that Peter denied Jesus three times and he was at a fireplace and, and now he's sitting in another fireplace and Jesus wants his last memory of a fireplace to be with Jesus and that he is redeeming himself and he's, he's, he's making up for it. And that's probably all true and that's all good. But what's being said here in the original language is a lot deeper. The Bible says, lovest thou me? He says, Peter, do you agape me? Unconditionally, unselfishly love me. This is the Peter who said, though all these deny you, I'll never deny you. Though every last one of these people were to walk out, I'll be here. I'm here for the duration. There's a lot of people that are in church right now that, oh, don't worry, Pastor, ain't nothing going to shake me. And there is this level of, of, if I could use this word, and please forgive, it's the best word I got, this arrogance that I'm just going to be here till Jesus shows up and I'm, I'm the perfect Christian. I got everything figured out. This is Peter. Now Peter's on the flip side. He has denied him. He has messed up. He has done opposite of everything that he told Jesus. He was telling Jesus, I am agape. I am, un- I am unselfish. I am giving. I am unconditionally in love with you, Jesus. I'll never do anything. I'll never backslide. I'll never make a mistake. I'll never fail you. I'm just going to be perfect. I know people that live for God that way, and they think that that's how it is. They think they got it until one trial shows up, right? Until all of a sudden one thing happens where they don't, they don't understand, amen, what, 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 what they really were saying was, I, 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 I am arrogantly believing this about myself. But this is what he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally, unselfishly love me like you told me you did so long ago? 
How about now after that you've messed up? What is your view of yourself in my relationship with you? Peter goes, Lord, you know that I filio you. I love who you are to me. That's where I'm at right now. That's what he's saying right there. Jesus asked him the second time, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I just filio you. I haven't reached that level of love yet. And the third time, Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you filio me? And the Bible says he was grieved because Jesus used the word filio. He was, he was now telling Peter, okay, I got you back on track. I know where you're at. That's where you were at the whole time. But now I want to make sure you know where you're at. And the Bible says he was grieved and he says, yes, Lord, I filio you. That's as far as I've gone. That's as high as I've gone. I wish I could tell you, I, I, I don't just love you for what you can do for me. And I wish I could tell you I love you for more than who you are to me. I wish I could tell you I, I unconditionally love you and I'm unselfish. And, and I've, I've figured out 1 Corinthians 13 and that's what kind of Christian I am. But the truth is, this is as far as I've added to my faith. It's filio. It's relational love. That's where most of us have been. That's where most of us are. And that's exactly where Peter is. Lift up your hands and let's pray for just a moment. Come on, Jesus wasn't going to condemn him for where he was. He wanted to know, do you know where you're at? Do you know how much of love you've added to your life? Do you know where your relationship with God really is, Peter? I want to know if you can be honest. Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. We're almost done. I've only got uh, two passages of scriptures, and then I'm done. So if Peter was that way, and he came to the realization, this is where I am. Let's be real, folks. Let's be honest with Jesus. I wish I could tell you that as the pastor, I just, I just agape everybody. I just, man, I just unconditionally love everybody, and I'm just agape Jesus. But the truth is, we don't always know where we are. You might love people for different reasons. You might love God for different reasons. But that doesn't mean you should stay right where you are. Okay, let's talk about this. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He did not use any other word than God's definition of love, agape. He said that if you would agape God, unconditionally love God. Let me talk for somebody for just a moment about the first level, amen, of agape love and where it all starts. You've got to agape God. God. You got to unconditionally love God. Now this is going to take a while. This is going to be hard. This is not always easy. God's going to have to convict you. God's going to have to correct us. God's going to have to move us. God's going to have to pry some things out of us. He's going to have to burn some things out of us and cut some things out of us because he's a surgeon. But if we allow God to move and work on us, we can get to that place where with all of our heart, with all of our soul, we unconditionally, unselfishly, for no other reason, not what he can do for me, not for who he is to me, but just because he's God, nothing else, I just love him. That is the first commandment he's saying, if you can love God. The next thing he said is the second level. You ready for this? To love your neighbor 
as yourself. Okay, but before you can love your neighbor, agape your neighbor, you must love yourself. People that, that, that are always causing issue and troubles, the, the real issue is right in here. They don't love themselves. People that are addicted, people that are, people that are sleeping around, shacking up, they don't truly love themselves. Let's, let's just be real for, real for a moment. We don't want to talk about self-love. We don't want to talk about because that sounds prideful, boastful, arrogant. I'm talking about you just unconditionally love yourself because you are created in the image of God. People have all sorts of addictions and compulsions, and it all boils down to the fact that they've got deficiencies, they've got insecurities, right? But if you can get to that connection with God, and you get this love with God, and you start, you, you get that, that unconditional love with God, and you realize that we love Him because He first loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, while we were without strength, when we did not deserve Him, He loved us anyways. And if we can understand that, let me just put it this way. If, if God would love a sinner like you and me, unconditionally and we want to hate ourselves there is something wrong with us come on we're talking about love if we will say well yep god loves me but i can't love me we have put ourselves above god that that our standard is somehow higher than god's that god could die for me god could love me god could do everything for me but i am nothing and i am dirt i i, I remember i used to say this in my prayers I was I was younger. I used to pray and and I'd have a I'd have a dumb thought, and I go, oh, man, I do something wrong. I say, God forgive me, I'm a devil. Okay, just being very open. God forgive me, I'm a devil. And I used to say that all the time. I'd be going through, I'd do something wrong, and I I you know I I get mad at the barista, and I oh, God forgive me, I'm a devil. And and God checked me. He said, You're my son. You're not a devil. And we start putting onto ourselves things God never put on us. And we start putting hatred and insecurities. And, and there's a lot of other people that maybe put those on us, but we have adopted them. We have said, that is who I am. I want to tell you, you are not what somebody else said you are. Come on, I'm going to preach. You are not somebody else's opinion of you. You are not the devil's opinion of you. You are not your father's opinion of you, your mother's opinion of you, your ex-husband's opinion of you. you the, you're not even your own opinion of you. You are what God says you are, and no more, no less. Somebody praise him. Oh, let's stand up across this building and let's worship him. Come on, somebody lift up your hands. This is where we're at right now. Some people are struggling with agape because they can't get past the fact that God would love somebody like them. This is why you struggle with loving, loving your spouse. This is why you struggle with loving people around you. This is why you struggle with people that, that you got to be patient with. This is why you're struggling with loving your neighbor because you just cannot believe that God would love you and you cannot bring yourself to love yourself. Somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, let's pray for just a moment. This is, this is important. I know that this might seem like, no, we're not, just, we're not just having a quick little Bible study right here. This is very important. This right here is going to affect how this church is. We'll treat people wrong if we don't love ourselves properly, if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We'll start treating our relationships wrong. We'll start treating our spouse wrong. We'll start treating the church wrong. We'll start treating everybody else around us wrong. We've got to have this right.
He didn't say you got to eros yourself and just love yourself for what you can do. He didn't say you got to filio. You got to you got to love yourself based on who you are to yourself. So if I'm doing I'm doing good today, or you know I've been a really good Christian this week. That right there is where the law died. As long as I'm abiding by the law and doing right, I'm, I'm, I'll be accepted and I'm good. That's the doctrine of Cain. I'll just bring the best I got and that's good enough. And we live there. But there is a much deeper love God is calling us to. And it's love yourself the way that I love you. That's a hard, really high. That's high. That's a high ladder to climb to. I promise you, it's not easy. You know why? Because nobody knows your flaws like you do. I might think you got flaws, and you might think I got flaws, but I promise there's no one more critical of me than me. There is no one more critical of you than you. But if you can understand and get the revelation, God loved me, not for what I could do for him, not for who I was, not for the family I was born into, for no other reason God just loved me. We can start loving ourselves that way. I love myself for no other reason. I'm just a child of God. It's created in the image of God. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. How you treat other people will tell me a lot about how you think of yourself. You're always mean, just rotten, no patience. You're probably seeing in everybody else the things you don't like about yourself. God's saying, I want you to go to that third level, agape. Love God unconditionally, selflessly. Love yourself unconditionally, selflessly. Love your neighbor unconditionally, selflessly. I'm not saying this is easy or any of us have arrived. That right there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, agape. Love your enemy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you, because people will use you, and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good. God is just as good to the person out there at the bar as he is to you. He sendeth the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans and the sinners do the same. If you salute only your brothers, the people you like, if you only just filio people because you are familiar with them, you only are nice to people in the church, but you're not nice to anybody else. Are you doing more than others? Do not even the publicans or the sinners do so? Even be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Y'all ready for this? Culture of addition. Love. Love God. Agape God. Love yourself. Agape yourself. Love your neighbor. The one you are familiar with. Your brother in church. Brotherly love. Ready for level four. The one that if we can even get past the first one, we'd be doing all right. If I could even get past the first and second and third, I'd be doing just great. But ready for level four? Love your enemy. Agape your enemy. I think we've all got work here to do to here today. The Bible finishes off, and we'll finish this lesson here right now. If you do this, if you have the culture of addition where you're adding to your faith all these different things, you will not be barren. 
this is what produces a soul winner right here. This is what produces somebody that will teach Bible studies, that will disciple folks, because they've gotten all these. I want to tell you the highest level we could ever get to is love. This agape, this unconditional. He said, you won't be barren. You won't be unfruitful. You won't be forgetful of what God has done for you. Because when we realize that God would love a sinner like me, we can't help but love ourselves, love our neighbor. And we can't help but love everybody that's ever wronged us, persecuted us, despised us, done everything wrong to us. Uh, can I help somebody here today that when you get this, uh, when we understand this, uh, when we allow God to add these things to our lives and compound them on our lives. We progress the Bible says into an everlasting kingdom. He says I open up the door. I add to you more than just precious promises. I open up the door to an everlasting kingdom. I want you to go deeper into my kingdom. I'm telling you when you let God add these things, he says I'm going to take you deeper in my spirit than you ever thought possible. I'm going to take you deeper in the, in the kingdom of God than you ever thought possible. Somebody lift up your hands and pray, God, I want to have love the way you loved me. I want to have love, amen, the way that you love me. Somebody pray all across this building for just a moment. Come on, lift up your voice. There are people here today, God has been coming before you, and he's saying you got to add love. you got to add charity. you got to add love. This agape, you can't just love love God for what he can do for you or who he is. you just got to love God unconditionally. You can't just love yourself for whether you've been good enough this week. you got to love yourself because God loved you. You can't just love your neighbor, amen, just any way you want. you got to love him with God's love. You can't just love the people that have wronged you any way you want. you got to love them with God's love. I want to open up this altar. Would you come to this front? Let's pray as a church. Come on, this is serious Christianity right here. This ain't Christianity 101. This is the highest level of Christianity we could get to. If we can get a revelation tonight about the love of God, the love wherewith he loved us, it would permeate to who, who we are. It would permeate to who we interact with. It would begin to change our interactions with one another. It would begin to change our interactions in this city. It would change our interactions with people that have wronged us and those that have hurt us. I'm praying for the love of Jesus to sweep through this house right now. I'm talking about unconditional. You don't deserve it. I'm talking about selfless. You, you couldn't have worked for it. You couldn't have earned it. I want the love of God to flow down. That's what some people need right now. This will help your relationship with others. This will help your vision of yourself. This will help you with people that have wronged you. You'll be able to forgive your father for what he did all those years ago. You're going to be able to forgive those that have wronged you because you're going to feel the love of God. Come on, there's a baptism of the love of God in this house. There's a baptism of the unconditional, selfless love of Jesus. Somebody pray. Hallelujah, come on. This is going to change some decisions. This is going to change some actions. Because when you realize how much God loves you, you can't live any less than that. You can't live any less than that. There's love. Come on, church, lift up your voice and let's pray. God, add to me love. Add to me love. Add to me love. I don't deserve it. Still you gave yourself away. All the overwhelming, ever-ending, reckless love of God. 
church let's pray this is real Christianity right here would you just pray and say God I want your love I want your love to so baptize me so fill me with your love God that it just flows out of me to everybody else some things right now. The love of God is helping you. The love of God is helping you right now. is flowing in this house for just a few moments. We can go home in a few moments, but we need a revelation of the love of God to hit us right now.
Somebody lift up your hands all across the building for just a moment. There's a revelation of the love of God. His love for you. His love for everyone. Come on. You need to let that love permeate to your love of self. I'm not talking about a selfish love. I'm talking about a selfless love. Hallelujah. I'm talking about a godly love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your love of the people that are around you and surrounding you, your brothers and your sisters, and even those that have wronged you, those that you're not connected with. Hallelujah. Somebody pray all across the building. We're, we're almost done right here. But somebody needs to pray right now. I think this is where some folks are slipping right here. They don't understand how much God really loves them. There's not a true revelation of how much God really loves them. It's something we've said in church, we sang in church, but we don't really, sometimes we don't always get the fact that God really does love us. And it's nothing we can earn, nothing we could do. He just, he just loved us anyways. In spite of me, God loved me. Hallelujah. And he gave himself for me. Probably the most... famous scripture in the Bible John 3.16 church we can't shy away from that that's an apostolic scripture for God so loved the world let that be your anthem for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that love was unselfish it was absolutely unconditional. There's no one person in this building that has a perfect bloodline, a perfect past. He just loved us. Lift up your hands and let's pray one more time as we are, we are being dismissed. Jesus, we love you. When we understand that you love us, Jesus, we understand that we are more, more than conquerors than, through him that loved us. We understand that neither height nor depth, principalities nor powers, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we understand that you love us, we can conquer everything we face. We can conquer it through the love of God. We can overcome through the love of God. We give you praise and glory and honor. I pray that we would leave this house in the absolute agape love of God that it would flow through us every time we come together, that it would flow, amen, into our daily lives, that it would flow to those that have, amen, that we are connected with, those that have wronged us, amen, those that have, amen, those that maybe have wronged us way back in our past, that that love would so fill us, God, that we would start forgiving people, amen, maybe they're dead and gone and they, they forgot about us, whatever the case may be, but that love would so flow down, they don't deserve forgiveness, but neither did we, God, and that love would begin to forgive people. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, that there would be such a love of God that somebody would start forgiving the bitterness that has been haunting you for a long time. That you begin to forgive people that have wronged you for a long time. I pray that that love, that agape, that unconditional, unselfless love would flow through this house in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to keep praying, you're welcome to keep praying. Aside from that, shake hands, be friendly. Love. Agape, love one another. Let brotherly love continue.